Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. Now it's just boop, 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 and turn on Netflix. And Netflix also just wants you to sit there on your sofa. Why do you have to go out? There's a You can binge a whole new season and get your favorite restaurant delivered to you. And some people saying, don't get up, man. You know, be a hero. Sit on your sofa. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. My name's Sam. Chris Quinn, owner of Chicago's Beer Temple Tap Room and Bottle Shop, is back for a conversation about how winter reopening compares to summer, category transcendence, and classification of hard seltzers, and making manufacturing sexy again. We discussed Drizzly's acquisition by Uber and the risk of allowing big tech to turn us all into couch heroes. Not sure who Chris is or what Beer Temple is? Check out episode 10 of Heavy Hops when we first interviewed him or his podcast, Beer Temple Insiders Roundtable. Better yet, visit his shop in person or online and buy some brown ale. Let's dive and get heavy. Welcome back to Heavy Hops. Thanks for having me. Thanks for for having me on. I appreciate it. It was fun last time. You know, uh, some time has passed since then. It was the summer, and now you've got some uh, rest. Your uh, your retail space is open, as it has been the whole time, and your tap room has opened recently at a limited capacity. Have things changed a little bit as far as from this reopening to the previous one? Yeah. Um, well, I think we were a little more, well, the second time you have to, you do it, you're, I think you're a little more confident in what you have to do. You're also a little bit more jaded that, you know, it could always just kind of revert again and there's nothing you can do. Um, so from our standpoint, it was easier. Now from the consumer standpoint, where is where I've really seen the big difference. People were at first, at least, trepidatious and then they started to come feel more comfortable and slowly people would would come in more um the timing of people coming in is also very bizarre since everyone's at home and a lot of people aren't working they come in in the afternoon like our busy time tends to be like in the afternoon and then it dies super early i mean it has to die early because we have to be closed by 11 rather than two but um uh, so that has changed. But then when we opened this time, uh, it just seemed like people were, were ready. I mean, we put a single social media post up the day before, um, and people just showed up and with more stringent, uh, uh, social distancing and mask requirements than last time. Uh, but the people don't care. They're just like, I just want to be here. Uh, I don't care. Like mask up literally, except when there's, you know, a, a glass on my lips. Fine. Um, so, so yeah, I think people are ready for this to be over is, is what I'm saying. I could definitely, uh, see that whenever I go out as well, just like when I drive by, I just see people, you know, trying to, Eating every restaurant, drinking every restaurant. Right. They can. <laughs> right, right, exactly. 
But, you know, I've also seen since we can't do large gatherings, you guys are also doing online tastings right now and you're also shipping. Uh, we talked about that the last time you were just getting yeah. that rolling. Um, how are both of those panning out for you guys? Um, uh, really well. The, uh, the virtual events have become, yeah, like a third branch of, of what we do now, which is great. I don't. I don't see virtual events going away entirely, but I don't see them being like they are now. So it's this weird middle space where if, if this was like the new forever normal, um, I think you'd see a lot of really big players and a lot of huge companies just being formed and jumping into it. But for now, I don't think anyone's going to invest like a whole new company idea quite yet on, on doing this. So it's like a lot of little guys like me just trying to expand and 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 do as much as we can. And we get hooked up with event companies and uh, it's yeah, it's been busy. I have one. I have one today. So I have one. We have one like every day. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's been yeah. Nice. Awesome. And then with that, are you kind of seeing people leaning towards bigger package sizes when they're ordering from you guys or are people still buying like the four pack or six pack and uh you know for like for non-event stuff uh i'd say yeah people tend to order larger uh you know shipping costs can be expensive people i think sometimes expect it to be you know amazon prime or something like that but um uh you know glass or you know less so cans but liquid in general is is heavy and therefore expensive to deliver to to somebody but um but yeah it's been uh it's been good when we had uh you know sometimes it's a pain in the neck because we do a lot of the local delivery you know ourselves and uh you know the day of that that storm was it last friday or monday or whenever it was um we got you know 14 delivery orders just in our immediate area like right at the last second we're like oh now we have to go out and do this stuff but you know, of those course. are good problems to have. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, I want to talk a little bit about some uh, category transcendence that's happening. And we're, we're looking at a time where craft producers, craft beer producers uh, have a lot of equipment and they have a lot of time and capacity and there's also a lot of competition because routes to market may have dried up or shelf space is now a little bit more limited. And so with on-premise opening up again slowly, at least in the case of Illinois, whether it's 25%, it's still more than zero and people will be taking advantage of it. So I think within that, we've heard a lot of conversations from craft brewers about, oh, we're going to start making sodas or we're going to start making things that and we're already seeing in the beer space itself, people making products that resemble CPGs or resemble other things that are in the world. Um, when you're looking at products kind of like, like a smooge or like uh, items that walk a line of whether it's beer or whether it's seltzer or something altogether, like where do you stand as, as a retailer well, um, it's interesting. Yeah, those smooge or smooge or whatever you want to call it, 
is uh and i know locally uh uh phase three is is creating one of those as well which is uh, uh an intensely fruited seltzer i know uh, uh phase three and i'm guessing it's somewhat similar to smooge or smooge i have no idea which one it is again um they start out with a 10 percent alcohol seltzer and then they dilute it to five percent with uh fruit puree so it's 50 50 uh fruit puree and and alcoholic seltzer um i got to taste the phase three one because i just asked i know somebody who works there and says you gotta let me try one of these things um i'm not really an overfruited thing guy anyway um and i tell people about it and what it looks like and stuff like that and they're like oh that sounds oh that's disgusting and i was like well you know it it's just it's drinking fruit puree that's that doesn't taste disgusting it tastes like a jamba juice to me is what it tasted like uh i liked it more than the overfruited beer is it something i would personally want to drink with alcohol in it no but it doesn't drink doesn't taste disgusting it, it tastes like fruit puree that's that's what it is so how do i feel about it maybe yeah uh it's it's a i think people are just trying to hop on to the next thing these little guys who are specializing in this stuff it can take off and they want to be the ones who are taking off and think that they're nimble enough that when the next thing takes off they can hop onto that as well um uh, I think that with bars closed, everybody and tap rooms often closed. I think everyone's trying to scramble a little bit. I don't know. I mean, is it is it like, am I interested in in like talking about those types of beverages with customers uh, on a well? Here's a new one. This one's apricot mango passion fruit not apricot mango guava it's totally different <laughs> like you know that's that does not interest me as you can tell as i'm being sarcastic already but like that's one of the same reasons like a lot of these hazy juices didn't uh, uh appeal to me either um people think i don't like them they're not personally my preference but they just tasted so similar and they became so ubiquitous that i just got kind of bored with the unoriginality of it to my mind, to my palate. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel with it, feel about it. I mean, if it literally keeps a brewery open who makes beer that I like or makes beer that I guess people like, I guess it's a good thing. It's it's so hard with all the stuff going on. I don't know. What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of curious where we go with uh, with these kind of beverages because how, how do we classify them, right? They're they're their own thing at this point. Even the seltzers, before we started adding a milkshake puree to, to these to make them juicier, right? They're these very unique beverages that still have alcohol in them. So they're still alcoholic beverages, but where do they fall when, we're, when we put them in relation with spirits or beer or wine? And do we now have this fourth sector that emerges that's these fruity alcoholic beverages where do we go from here in terms of classification i 
I don't know. I mean, they're, it's so funny, the role they play. It's interesting to see what different people are trying to do with, with seltzer, alcoholic seltzer. Some people went like a more artisan way, which I don't think is going to play personally. I think someone who's looking for that is looking for, you know, I mean, they want a white claw. They want, and if it's something different and they really like one of them, that's fine. But I don't think the fact that it's made from higher quality ingredients or that it's, you know, farmed a can fruited seltzer matters uh, at all. I do think the kind of abstracting an element of the seltzer and and just like almost to like cartoon proportions is kind of where a lot of the craft beer scene is right now with beer styles. So it makes sense that that's what they're going to do with seltzer as well. I mean, stouts have, uh, you know, chocolate notes to them because of the roasted malt. Well, you know, let's dump Hershey syrup into it. Let's make a, a sundae out of it. Let's put vanilla in there and toffee and maple and, you know, wet nuts in it and, you know, make it a sundae. Um, so I guess from a, the philosophy standpoint, that makes sense. Is it is it craft seltzer? No, it's it's not craft seltzer. There's nothing cra- to me craft about it. It's fruit puree. Mm-hmm. Just dump yeah. it in the seltzer. Exactly. You know, you bring up a good point about w- where beer has kind of come from, and there's always been a little bit of an edge of this within it. I think of like Southern Tears Creme Brulee as an example of that. Like, here's a beer that is. Right. It is this thing that you know you've had it, or at least you're aware of it, and he, and it tastes exactly like that. And I remember going to bars that would serve it with ice cream, because a half barrel from Southern Tier would be a reasonable price. You throw some right. ice cream in it, and people would freak out. And this was like right at the beginning of the extreme beer era, right? So if we think of that as like 2007, 2008, 2009, like Dogfish had your boys worldwide stout, like that era of extreme beer, then there's a history of this in a certain way. And it's driven by curiosity and intrigue, which is people's starting point with craft beer in general, is that they're curious to try new flavors or try new expressions. And so for a new category like seltzer to come in and to play with the same trajectory uh, it makes a lot of sense, especially if people that are like producing it uh, are brewers in some way. Maybe Mark Anthony is not a brewer, but they're certainly in, uh, a leader in the category, not on the extreme sense, but uh, they've absolutely cornered the market as far as here is your standard issue thing. And I think it's going to be impossible for people to claw out market share from them uh, with no a $18.99 four pack. Uh, that's a that's a tall order to ask for, regardless of, you know, how great your ingredients may be or if there's something unique of the process. I don't know if the people that are consuming that stuff really care about those uh those points uh, in particular as much as uh, someone who's interested in a Vienna lager. Right. So I don't know if you guys, I, we might have even talked about it last time. I mean, we pretty much talked about everything. Uh, 
you know, the concept of they call it the long tail, which is if you can imagine a chart uh, of of the number of breweries by barrelage. And it's not just a brewing thing. It's it's a, any kind of market thing. And you've got the biggest ones all the way to one side. And then, you know, there's, m you know, more that are kind of on at a little bit smaller and there's more breweries, the smaller you get. And they're calling it now with 8,000 breweries, the long tail, a super long tail, but that just make this many barrel barrels compa compared to, you know, the giant guys. And that's where I really think craft beer has, has come where the, uh, at first craft beer was its own thing. We were trying to be its our own tail, but we've just been enveloped, I think. Uh, and that's why I think the big guys in a sense have won. Um, because now we're fighting over the scraps. Now that's still a lot of people who are drinking beer, um, relative to who used to be. I see that happening in, in seltzer to a similar extent. Um, I, I know white claw is feeling some heat. How could they not? There are now a hundred seltzer breweries where there was one before there was essentially truly, um, they're still dominating truly is doing phenomenal so the top two are still the top two it doesn't look like that's really going to change and just more and more are being added uh and i think you'll probably you know with bud light seltzer corona seltzer huge guys coming into that market uh maybe there's a craft seltzer play uh or a it, this is more though like with the smooge it's like a subcategory Nobody who wants a white claw is expecting a smooge. And if they are, if they get it and like it, it's a happenstance. It's not, you know, uh, they might be like, this is amazing, but it, it's not what they're looking for. Um, and especially with seltzer being like a calorie conscious thing. I mean, that just detonates that whole concept of it being kind of low cal. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I've, I've wandered off a little bit, but I just, I don't know. I don't know what we call these. It's, I don't know what we call this. What do you, what do we call it? I mean, small producer, seltzer, I don't know, who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, we can go back to our, is it artisanal <laughs> yeah. or is it craft? Uh, that that right. that may be our, our precedence. I mean, as far as how the trade uh, recognizes it, it's still recognized as beer. And maybe this does need to get separated in a certain point uh, and that your barrelage of beer needs to be defined differently than what you produce of seltzer. And that's an interesting question to kind of think about is where, where does that get divided and what are people going to do to keep people uh, in consuming beer. And I think that if that, if that division occurs, then it's going to be, uh, very interesting to see sure. what mechanisms brewers do to keep people in the category. And I think that's kind is that of keeping people in the category is that yeah. keeping people in the category, I think is, is a question worth asking is, mm -hmm. is that a beer drinker? I, I don't know. I don't think a seltzer drinker is a is a beer drinker. I'm not saying that is bad at all. And I don't think leaving the category is necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, you know, I, over the weekend, or, you know, Super Bowl weekend, I, I drank beer on, uh, on Friday and Sunday, but Saturday I drank, you know, 
wine and then had uh, some some whiskey at the end of the day. So it was I don't usually, you know, go at it three days in a row, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but I think that's that's OK. But I don't know. I, to me, I think it's more of like a, a viability of those businesses rather than of the of the category um because yeah i mean the little guys are all it seems like most of them are all craft brewers who are you know pivoting to use the the term of 2020 which i hope goes away in 2021 um and uh yeah who I don't know. It's almost like they're becoming, here's the thing I think it is, is they're becoming beverage companies. They're not breweries. They are beverage companies. Um, And to me, there is a philosophical difference to that. Um, You just want to make alcoholic beverages for people to buy, not just, that's just, that's what you want to do where brewers want to brew beer and sell it to people. So uh, you can say if if there's a difference. To me, there is a difference, but you know, mm-hmm. I think you and I think differently in general about that stuff, Alexi. Um, I mean, I definitely agree with you. Once um, these companies start producing more than just beer, they do become a beverage company. And then, how do you justify calling yourself a brewer when you know maybe six days out of the week? you're actually brewing hard seltzer because that's your, that is your main category that you're selling now because that is your popular product. Are you still a brewer at that point? No. Will that happen? I wonder. I mean, I don't know if seltzer is going to be anybody's is going to outgrow um, anybody's beer production. I I just don't know if I see that happening. Um, I mean, I, I just thinking of the, the people locally making, uh seltzer who are breweries i couldn't imagine any of those pivoting so much that they become only seltzer companies but um i don't know it is so funny that it's it runs so counter to the other side of things which is like na is going to be huge health and wellness is huge everyone's into you know healthier stuff lower alcohol no alcohol lower calorie and then these things are quite the opposite i don't even (laughs) how much i mean how much could drinking pure fruit puree i mean that's got to be incredibly that's why compared to jamba juice because you know people used to think they were drinking something good and then the calorie counts came out on those things and you realize they're they're 800 calories per shake or something like that Mm -hmm. I think maybe we need to make the term manufacturer sexy again. <laughs> right. Because that's that's really what it is, right? That right. is what your manu- your license is that you're a manufacturer. And maybe we've put so much onus on this idea of a brewer and we've romanticized it so much that we can strip some of that back and then we accommodate for the idea of it being a beverage company because in reality you could make a lot of things with that equipment right is you can use the bottling line to make i don't think coca-cola is going to go to spiteful and use their bottling line or their canning line but those that happens in other countries where there may not be a ton of uh manufacturing and there's one line that everyone uses for wine or for soda pop and things like that so uh i think that this like craft seltzer thing becomes 
uh, on this extreme end is a part of uh, a stream of premiumization that we've seen in, and that's where THC water comes in as far as I'm concerned. And CBD water uh, is a part of that in a certain way too, is that the audience isn't enormous for it. It's just that people kind of have money for it if they're middle income or higher income because they're not spending it on vacation or uh, maybe they're buying GameStop and getting a couple hundred extra bucks than they thought. Right, right. Sure. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, uh, you can always count on me to be the pessimist or maybe they no longer can afford vacations, but one thing they can do, God darn it, is to buy the slightly nicer six pack of beer. Um, uh, it, it could be either. It could be both. Um, this premiumization. Yeah. I mean, maybe making manufacturing sexy again. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just the pendulum swinging back and forth and you know, it, we were at, you know, the wonder bread era where like these giant breweries and this, this, uh, monolith of, of beer manufacturing, um, needed something to kind of spring up and be a little bit more artisan or hands-on if still very much manufacturing and, and the early, um, um, us craft brewers, um, I think a lot of them were, you know, small manufacturers for sure. And thought of themselves that way. Uh, not necessarily in the same vein as like some of the old Belgian brewers or something like that, which I mean, those guys I would say are definitely manufacturing, but they're much more artisanal. And then I think craft beer in the U.S. has gone down that, you know, art. I mean, is everything an artisan ale now? That became, you know, if there was a couple of years, maybe five years ago, where every every brewery that opened up all of a sudden, instead of becoming beer co, became artisan ales. You know, um, and I think we've reached now the point of the you know three hundred dollar hand carved uh, wooden spoon on Etsy. You know, I think it's <laughs> like it's time for it to come back a little bit because. You know, uh, I, I like the idea of manufacturing being uh, being sexy. Um, I hope it happens. Mm -hmm. Well, there's nothing sexier than fruit puree in a uh, in a can, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I, I guess I'm looking at this from the context, like a broader context of these products are emerging in a time where there aren't really bars for people to go out to, and so they're emerging in a climate where people experiment with beer by going to a bar and doing samples, right? And they can't do that. So all of a sudden these breweries are noticing, fuck, we can't sell as much beer, not only just because ours aren't open, but people just aren't gonna drink it. They're not gonna mm -hmm. go out and buy a six pack that they have never tried before. What do people like? Well, they still like alcohol and they like fruit. Fuck it, throw it in a can. Is this a product of just the time? And when we open restaurants again, are we going to see a pivot back to breweries focusing on beer again? And I don't think, I think the answer is no. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I think it's, um, I think it's giving people what they, what they want. Um, uh, and I think it's kind of chasing trends rather than putting your uh i don't know creating the the best product you can and, dr and trying to draw people into it i think that is for a lot of breweries has become kind of a a fundamental 
difference in philosophy as maybe they feel uh, the heat's on a little bit more than it used to be. I don't know. I'm guessing early days of craft, it was, um, it was hard um, to get people to even drink your stuff or think that your stuff was considered beer, but who knows? Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really actively drinking beer way back then, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of, I think social media has a lot to do with it. I do it that I think we talked about this last time. I think people are just so fast to see what the newest thing is and wanting to, to replicate it. Um, I, I just know from talking to people and, and I'm not going to name names, but a lot of these hyped breweries, uh, certainly on the Midwest scale. And I think nationally, uh, these small hype breweries, um, that have the trade bait, they have the stuff that everybody wants. They are watching all the other guys in that same space so closely. Um, and you know, they all have their own, they're not all clones of one another, but they're all watching what the other is doing very, very closely. And, uh, I'm curious if, I don't know, that seems like an interesting thing for a small brewery, you know, to do just to see like, oh, they're putting out this kind of beer. Maybe we should put out this type of beer. Or sometimes I think it allows them to justify doing it. They're waiting for like the kind of the ice to get broken. And then they're like, okay, well now we can uh, try to do this as well. I think it started with a, a lot of like, well, and it, it, when it's tap room, they just do that stuff as well. I mean, how many slushy machines did you see at, at, at breweries? Like, it seemed like every the tap room, the tap room <laughs> is the space for experimentation, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. AKA you, you realize you can take a beer, dilute it with fruit to half strength and charge 50% more for it. And you know, I know breweries who are buying slushy machines and paying for it in the first weekend they owned it and just being like, yeah, we're going to keep making these slushies. They're so popular. And, uh, and yeah, we like to make money. So I don't know if there's a, necessarily a problem with that, but no, that that's interesting. And I mean, when we look at randling as well as something that is a little bit like what we're talking about, there's so much precedence for flavors of finished goods being changed and then represented to someone. I think that if we're talking about uh, our sexy manufacturers ma ma producing more than just beer and getting into uh, seltzers or getting into NA and beginning to utilize their equipment, there's going to need to be buy-in from the on-premise in order for this to work because the dynamic that you pointed out, Chris, of someone seeing something that someone else is doing and then emulating it or putting their own twist on it and the aggregate force of that at this point is going to mean that there's going to be tons of product in the market that someone's going to need to buy and on-premise needs to be a part of that in some equation. And so with that being said, at 25% capacity for uh, a restaurant or a bar, is there an opportunity for the retailer to take command of the situation and say, we're not serving Coca-Cola anymore to the 25% of people that show up. 
you're going to be drinking this now because it's from a local producer. It's not made, you know, by a conglomerate. And it represents a value that we think is important and that we try to protect with our food. And at the same time, uh, you know, they're making a concession by saying, oh, we don't need that, you know, $40 bag and box. They're trading it for potentially a $40 case of CBD soda, right? The stuff isn't no. necessarily cheap. No, mm-hmm. no, definitely. I think you, you definitely could see um, a concerted effort by the retailers to direct people to what they think is kind of important in the marketplace right now. I think a lot of the better places have always done that to some degree. And then as tap rooms started to put pressure on some of these places, I think they started going to the hype model too. Just like, what can you get me from a brewery that's out of market, that's doing a drop? Remember drops were the big thing, you know? Drops, AKA hype beer from breweries that don't have a tap room in my market. Is that way I thought of it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is just like hype. You can't get at a tap room because the tap rooms keep their hype or often do often. You know, nothing is an absolute. But um, so I think I've seen it go both ways. Um, and I think you will continue. I, I just don't think enough. Not every publican cares in that way. They just don't. Uh, what I do see happening is. Um, I was thinking about it, how you can see the little Ferrari thing right there. You know, if there's like a, 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 a crash or an accident or something in, in F1 and they do it in NASCAR too, I believe, uh, you know, the whole field is, is like stretched out. you got the leader up here and the other guys lap behind and they bunch them all together behind the safety car. And then the green light goes on and it's just like, boom, I think all these breweries are bunched behind the safety car right now. And it's going to be harder for them to just go local because I think some of the big guys, uh, big being relative, so they don't only need to be Budweiser big. Uh, anyone who can flex their muscles is going to see all these open tap handles and be like, we need to get draft going again. And it's on and it's going to be, I think it's going to be like, no holds barred scrapping for these breweries to get into these accounts again when stuff starts opening up like we only have we have 20 draft lines i think we have five drafts on right now um we just you know we're not going to have enough beer to move at that velocity so i'm curious to see if you're just going to start seeing insane deals like two for one on kegs you know from from big guys who can take a loss to get a steady tap handle on once you have the handle, you know, we'll make up that free keg or something like that. Uh, or maybe it's two for one for the first, you know, several kegs you buy or something like that. Um, that's going to be really hard for a little local guy to, to, to fight against, especially if, you know, the big guy is goose Island or I'm not accusing goose Island of doing it. I'll say rev as well. Maybe rev needs to do that. They're local. You can say, yeah, this is a Chicago brewery. You know, with Goose Island, maybe you have your fingers crossed behind your back a little bit. But um, uh, that to me is what I want to see if it happens and, and what happens as a result. Like in a year from now, what are the what are the draft lines going to look like? Is it going to be like just before COVID hit or is it just going to be 
this reset where um, the big guys feel like they, they can't mess around anymore and they just have to just like push their heel down <laughs> on some of these little guys. I definitely think you're going to see a pedal to the metal mentality. We, we just saw these companies who literally operate for the profit of the business. They're in the business to make money and they have taken substantial hits. They are absolutely going to pummel the smaller businesses. And to that effect on this pay to place game that you're kind of, you were mentioning, this was something that was totally prevalent in the liquor industry, hundred percent. It's why you see, such heavy brand loyalty, especially when you get out of the city and you look into middle America, you all you see are big brands. Why? Because these two for one deals are buy the case, get a case free. It's these companies who have more stake in the game, but they have obviously so much more money and potential to just throw their weight around and push these smaller businesses around. And to that effect, I think because of that, and then also the costs that these uh, larger players are able to bring down on these products, that's why you see such heavy brand loyalty in middle America to these larger brands because they are effectively cheaper goods and they're just pushed into the face of people. I come from a small town, I think we were talking about it last time, where people just consume Budweiser, Miller, Coca-Cola. If you replace an NA beverage, like your own cola in a restaurant out there, people would turn their nose. Yeah, they would turn their noses at it. They'd say, fuck you, I'm not drinking that. They would probably, I could guarantee you actually, my dad would bring in his own bottle of Coca-Cola if that were the case. If you went to Pepsi, (laughs) he'd probably do it. You know, let alone some like (laughs) local, you know, cola maker. Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, people have, have, um, yeah, they just have these affinities that they've, they've, they've grown. They've grown. I mean, try to not at a restaurant, try not have Heinz ketchup, try to have your own ketchup and not have people complain and try to bring in their own ketchup. If you're a, you know, like a burger place or something like that, I know places Mm -hmm. where that's happened. Um, and, uh, I don't think it will be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the the craft game, um, and what the little guys do as a result. Do they pivot towards things that the big guys aren't doing right now, like these super fruited things, um, and then try to drive a demand for it, uh, create a demand so the publicans are reacting to the demands of the market, which they certainly do. Um, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of things at play. I mean, the little guys do have a lot of, a lot of influence. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, they're the innovators, right? It all starts there. And then as soon as an idea, I mean, they are. Sometimes they are. I mean, big big companies have the resources to innovate though, too, even Mm -hmm. if they move at a different pace. Well, yeah. I mean, that's why you see White Claw truly they were from a bigger company and, but now everyone's copying that. But in the case of this Smooje, uh, it is a smaller company. It is a similar concept, but it's it's taking that concept and pushing it forward, right? And so yeah. I, I would argue by and large, you see a lot more innovation on the smaller side than you do the bigger side. And then most of the time that idea will get just completely eaten up by someone bigger and pushed forward. 
or replicate it 10,000 times mm -hmm. to the point where there's no the demand for the original isn't is still probably pretty strong but isn't what it what it needed to, or what it was you know at 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 one point um because everybody's all the little guys are watching and they want a piece of that and they're able to you know they look at it and they say well i can do that i can buy fruit puree and dump it in um i'll start doing that so <laughs> barrier to entry is not very high i think a lot of it is marketing and your instagram and, and stuff like that honestly is you got to get the following mm -hmm. but yeah as we see people using uh fruit puree and making seltzers do you think this is kind of the end of a kettle sour in some ways is that where that sub uh it's hard to even call it a style but that method <laughs> of production where as you would call it like the overfruited kettle sour right is that where mm. this is heading the overfruited kettle sour specifically sorry yeah. i know i guess there's an overfruited hazy ipa too well uh, I, but... I was thinking more like you know dogfish head sequench when you said the kettle sour because that's where yeah. i think the leaders for that are but and that is fruited but it's not overfruited it's like a you know a it's like the locally here in chicago uh, beer for tacos, you know, it's like that margarita goza, lime, salt goza thing, um, which is definitely what sequences as well. Um, I'm curious if if that goes away. I, I think that still serves uh, a separate purpose. Does the overfruited sour go away for the overfruited seltzer? Uh, maybe I had right after I had that that super fruited seltzer, I had. Uh, super fruited, uh, I think milkshake IPA. I don't know if it was a sour, but it was, it was a super fruited beer of some kind. I didn't like it as much. I mean, it tasted like, I don't know, this weird fruit beer vanilla thing. I didn't like it. Uh, the seltzer thing was definitely more a pure expression of fruit puree, <laughs> which is, I think really what people want, uh, um so uh, yeah who knows who knows if if that fruited over fruited sour ipa was going to be huge in a couple years anyway i mean some of these styles are going to just you know go the way of the dodo and just disappear but who knows which you, ones sequench is a really good example actually because and i think and i don't know if this sub message within that beer gets lost in marketing but that's supposed to be a very functional beverage at the same time, right? The Sam Caglione mentioned that some, like they, they brought in someone from Gatorade as a consultant on that project. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the whole idea was that uh, it was like, you could call it like a proto functional beer. Um, <laughs> right, right, and right. It's kind of interesting that uh, now we're seeing more and more people thinking about functional plus uh, THC, functional plus alcohol. At, at what point does something cease to be functional because it's associated with something that's inherently dysfunctional? Right. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. And at, at that point, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I saw, you know, on the Super Bowl yesterday, I thought, 
one of the one of the brands that I think gets it is Mick Ultra. They've been killing it. They that category is dying except for them. They kind of created a new category with this, you know, uh, uh, health conscious beer thing. And I forget exactly what it was, but it's it's kind of what I've been saying that I think breweries should should use as their marketing, which was the concept of, um, you know, I forget the exact words on this uh, Mick Ultra uh, commercial from yesterday, but it was essentially like, this is why you work out. This is why you are treat yourself so healthy is so you can do things like this. Um, uh, like have a beer, you know, something like that. Um, uh, so you can treat yourself, so to speak. Maybe that's what'll happen. I mean, if everything needs to be uh, functional from a health standpoint before it goes into your mat body, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, now that I think about it, Budweiser had a big good thing about like buying someone a beer when they're having a hard time. And they showed it with Stella, Bud, Goose Island. They showed it with a Cutwater Spirit. They showed their whole, like they weren't saying, they were just saying, just drink alcohol. Cause I think people are drinking less alcohol. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, everyone who's having like a shitty day, a uh, guy got canned from his, from his uh, uh, job and he's carrying this box out and a woman takes his other box and is like, let me buy you a beer. And he's like, okay. You know, a guy you know, the, uh, the, the, the snow plow as he's trying to dig out his car, just covers him in slush and somebody sees him from in the, uh, uh, restaurant and was like, let me buy you a beer, man. So maybe that becomes functional, you know, being friendly and social, uh, mm -hmm. becomes a functional thing to do. And this is a nice social lubricant, which it is, um, mm -hmm. maybe that's where it, it goes. Uh, I would hate to live in a world where you can't do anything unless it has a um, direct uh, physical benefit for you. That just seems like hell to me. But um, and I know people like that and they seem happy. They're probably happier than me. Maybe I'm the wrong, you know, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I literally only eat what is the most healthy for me. And that makes me feel good. And then I exercise and, you know, make sure I'm sleeping and on the proper schedules and this and that and i'm thinking like to what end you never indulge so mm -hmm. i don't know that's well, way 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 above my pay grade so i'll let yeah. you to that one i don't know i think you know the purpose of beer is you know it's a casual thing that we enjoy either with a meal or with friends and i think our health conscious society now has recognized, oh, fuck, if you drink too much beer, it's laden with sugar and calories, you're going to get fat. Here's a solution. 5% alcohol seltzer beverage, 100 calories. Still get drunk, still can have it with a meal. It serves a very similar function, but guess what? It's healthy now. And is it healthier? No, it's less calories, Yeah, but it's not healthier. It's still sugar. It's still alcohol. You're just, you're replacing yeah. it with something. You're replacing something you're villainizing with something else that's just as evil in it, quote unquote. But is it even evil? I don't think so. Who knows, man? We've been well, drinking I, I, alcohol for thousands of years. And well, I, I think it's, uh, it's what like we're seeing this type of stratification 
uh, a little bit in IRI and Nielsen data too of people going for more alcoholic items, higher alcohol sells a lot, and then lower alcohol sells a lot too. That's just where it's at is that you almost can't make a, a bold philosophical statement about it. It's just like people <laughs> doing people shit. Like some mm -hmm. people want, you want to get fucked up. Sometimes you drink something heavier in alcohol. Cause that's, what's going to do it. You want to be healthy. You're going to do that. Um, at, I, I feel like it's almost hard to make uh, pontificational uh, assertions about it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, I think that now people, uh, you know, people still are getting messed up. You know, I mean, young kids, I think alcohol is down with younger people, but they're smoking a, a ton of weed and they're popping a, a shitload of pills. So mm -hmm. it's like they just they're just getting messed up in a different way. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I tend to be with you, Alexi. I mean, people have been drinking alcohol for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I don't mm -hmm. think it's I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think, you know, we I don't think getting messed up generally Drugs aren't going anywhere either. I mean, they're they're right. here. So we're trying to fe federally legalize one of them. So mm -hmm. it's right. definitely here. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. And I think as a society coming out of this pandemic, you know, I, I get, you know, you brought up these commercials of Budweiser and like Goose Island saying, "Hey, it's okay to have that beer. Loosen up a little bit." You know, that's that's priming the conversation of when this is over it's okay to go out. It's okay to drink again. You know, like I feel like there's this, everyone's just been pent up for a while. So obviously people haven't been drinking and, you know, I could see concern on these companies that literally make a profit on people drinking alcohol. Like, can you even imagine the, the studies that they're doing? I would imagine <laughs> of like, are people like, you know, agoraphobia, I'm sure is just going to be through the roof. I just think people are going to have low level anxiety about being around other people for, for a while. Um, you know, I think these are going to have, these are huge, huge issues that go well beyond uh, beer sales. But mm -hmm. like you said, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens as you come out of a, um, as you, as you come out of a pandemic, uh, how long it'll take, what's going to stick around what what isn't. Cause also remember, um, there are a ton of incredibly funded tech companies, um, that are glorifying, uh, um, not, not doing anything. I mean, look at like DoorDash or Grubhub or one of them. I forget what it was. Now they've all kind of pivoted to like save your local company. And we can go into how good DoorDash and Uber Eats is for, for local restaurants. A lot of them are not fans of them. I would say most of the ones I know. But anyway, um, they're kind of pivoting that way. But before that, it was like you're sitting on your sofa and uh, you have to go all the way to that restaurant to pick up your food. Now it's just boop, 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 and turn on Netflix. And Netflix also just wants you to sit there on your sofa. Why do you have to go out? There's a You can binge a whole new season and get your favorite restaurant delivered to you. Um, so that's going to be marketed hard to not change that because those companies have made a lot of money during the pandemic. And they're going to want to get everybody to keep sitting on their sofa and not getting up 
So like, I don't think that should be underestimated either. It's not just going to be society. It's going to be capitalism trying to get people to, you know, it's going to be competing people. Some people saying, get up. And some people saying, don't get up, man. You know, be a hero. Sit on your sofa. You know, that's the new <laughs> term, too. You know, it's a, that. <laughs> I, I love that. that. I don't want to go there. I'll get myself in trouble. Sofa hero. Yeah. Sofa <laughs> hero. That's good. We'll get uh, Doug Velicki. We'll get him on that one. Sofa hero. Um, that is, that is interesting. And I think that these large tech companies have had a lot of time to solidify that behavior with people too. And it's such an easy behavior to get people to, uh, to continue to exhibit. And on top of that, you can frame it within a health, uh, a health idea too, a, a very real health idea. So it's, it's challenging in a lot of ways. And, I, I think we can kind of bridge this into uh, Uber and Drizzly and all that stuff is now if I do go out, say I go to Beer Temple and I want to take my Uber, you know, I'm a lazy fuck today, so I'm going to take it my five blocks the way home. There may be an alcohol package sitting next to me in my uh, <laughs> in my ride as well. How do you see this kind of impacting the your re the retail world? Huge huge not just because everything is going to be app delivery based i think that's true but my big thing now is drizzly um and a lot of these other companies you know they are they pay you can pay for uh, uh search results on drizzly you know so again the big guys putting their muscle into it I mean, you know, there's a reason that like Lagunitas IPA or Goose Island IPA or whatever big IPA you're looking for uh, shows up at the top. And those guys know exactly the average number of items scrolled past and that the higher you are, uh, you know, and then they can say, well, it's the highest selling, too. It's like, well, yeah, it's the highest selling because you promote it all the time as the top product. And if I were uh, uh, a B. Or, you know, I, I keep picking on them, but let, let's say Lagunitas, because um, I don't want to make it an AB thing. It's just what everyone goes to the biggest. But it's if I were them, I would say, you know, I don't even want to be on the beer page. I want to be on, you know, the uh, if I was like Instacart or something like that, be like I was often bought with. So don't even don't even look at all those options. Just be like people buy this because they think it pairs well with this beer. Oh, that was on my list. I'll get that beer too. And I'll get my spaghetti because this is the beer that goes with spaghetti, says the advertiser. I mean, that's what I would do. I would be like, keep them off the beer page. There's way too many options there. Just like boom, boom, boom. And just we'll pay you. We'll pay you. We'll pay, pay, pay to, to do that. And before like the first, I think, uh, episode I ever did of, uh, of my podcast, I was talking about how they want to like, they have these things called sets, right? And they just want to, which is like the array of all the beer that's in a jewel Osco or something. And the big guys have anxiety certainly did when there was a hundred different beers, none of which they owned back then, but now, because they want to control the set, they want it to be a giant set where you really only have three options. You know, you can buy 
Bud Light cans. You can buy Bud Light bottles. You can buy Bud Light bottle 12 packs. You can buy Bud Light bottle 24 packs. You can buy Bud Light can. Like that's just, that's the options they want to give you. They're starting to do it again now because they say, you know, you want seltzer, you have Bud Light seltzer, you, you have Bud Light, you have Bud, you have Goose Island, you have Cut Spirits, you have Stella if you want an import, you have Elysian, you have, you know, Golden Road, we have all sorts mm -hmm. of craft. So, but they can really control a digital set um, by just literally paying for the results at the top of the page. So that's mm -hmm. why I think that combined with the fact that everyone's going to go to a digital app for so many people for a digital app for delivery. I don't think it's good for, uh, I'm worried that uh, how the little guy is going to compete on with a, with like a drizzly app or something like that. Cause mm -hmm. I think it's just going to become more apparent that those things can just be doctored. And at that point it becomes to the consumer, how aware are they that, they're being kind of the results are being manipulated uh, based on you know, advertising, for lack of a better term. And two, how much do they care? And that's the other thing. It's like not everyone cares about beer that much. And not everyone wants to care about it. It's just like, I know, I know. You know what, though? I'm I have so many things that are more important to me than. Am I buying craft beer from the big guy or the little guy? And, you know, that's just how it is. I think that as a continuation with part of your thought, too, this isn't just the part of this information technology and how technology affects buying decisions isn't just the from the retailer to the consumer. It can also happen between the wholesaler and the retailer, too. If you look at online purchasing that occurs in the retail space, from the wholesaler, I remember using uh, a technology called Beerline as a buyer, and uh, we can demonize Reyes instead of AB for a second if we want here. Sure, sure, sure. And so, <laughs> let it rip. So they had an online platform that I, as a buyer, would use to buy kegs and bottles and uh, things yeah. like that for my restaurant. I order it. It comes with my delivery in the absence of calling my rep on a Sunday. So the thing is with that is that it's a free advertising platform for the uh, for the suppliers, right? And it depends on how you kind of divvy that up. I would imagine that uh, a uh, an, an enterprising organization would uh, factor in advertising spends and things like that as a part of the uh, the visibility. And so that's another channel where a large supplier can control the can control the demand essentially is through the re is through the wholesale channel. Um, I think that we have to like, where does regulation come into this conversation as far as going back to the retailer consumer side with technology, where, where, where do you imagine uh, any regulation coming in with this, Chris? With uh, what specifically with with the tech? Yeah, technology. like advertising <laughs> using your platform as advertising. Is there a way to regulate it? I don't think there's going to be any. I mean, uh, these digital platforms are very well funded. Um, you know, you saw the proposition in in California that went through with the the ride shares and stuff like that, and they spent I forget how many hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, you know, lobbying the public directly to vote against, uh, you know, considering, um, 
you know, the rideshare drivers to be considered employees. Um, so I, I think that that who's going to fight for that regulation, I, I guess. I know who's going to fight lobby to make it okay. I just don't see anyone with money pushing uh, against it. And I think a lot of these liquor regulations are, um, some of them are becoming antiquated and they're not being updated. They're just being dropped is the way I see it happening. So we'll have to see how it goes. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I can tie this actually really nicely is, you know, with all that, you're going to see the three tier system evaporate. So with that evaporating, these companies take a substantial portion of the, the profits from these companies. And is that impact going to be larger than what these companies are already kind of essentially losing out on by doing our distribution through the three tier system? Or does this benefit them more? Because it's one less channel for them to deal with. Well, I think it's funny. I think three tier in a weird way helps, you know, helps uh, the Does little guys. In some way. What's up? Is it is it a buffer like that? Yeah. The that it mm -hmm. stops the like the advertising can still go from the supplier to the retailer. It's just the product moves through the wholesaler, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, boy. Boy, oh boy. I don't know. I think the big guys, um, three tier in a way kind of, I think protects in some cases, the little guys from the big guys, because without any regulation, the, the big guys could just completely, I think, dominate local markets even more than they do now, especially if they could get their hands on the retailer directly. I mean, that's what, when you would have tied house, that's what happened before prohibition, you know, they could literally, uh, say, why don't you just we'll buy your the building and you just pay your mortgage to us and we're going to give you an amazing rate way better than any bank could ever give you there's just one stipulation you buy our you you sell our beer only um and that is not an exaggeration that stuff happened uh and it wouldn't have happened if it didn't make financial sense for these companies so you know, will we get to that level? I don't know. There's, I mean, Alexi, you go, you, you've been to Europe quite a bit. It's yep. That's, that happens in most of Europe still is that, uh, that's a, pr a problem that the three tier system solves in some manner, or at least mitigates. Uh, otherwise, yeah, we would have bars everywhere that would have a, a B products exclusively, uh, down from the alcohol to the cut water spirits, right. To your soda pops, like uh, everything. And so that's a, that's dangerous for competition in the first place. You can't get in. You know how you have to get in. You have to get in as a small guy by opening a bar, you open mm -hmm. up a bar and then that's your tide house and you want to expand, open a second bar. Right. And a third bar. I mean, think about that model mm -hmm. for, for well, growth. Is it even that, abstract of an idea like take it outside of the context we're currently looking at it and let's let's look at streaming services if you wanted to make a tv series and you just couldn't get it on tv networks okay netflix is like you know what we like your idea we want to buy it we'll pay you this much but but here's your contract it's ours right and you can't even do physical releases of it it has to stay on our platform 
this concept of, you know, things being owned by one specific company and not being able to uh, be owned by multiple people, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent in our society as it becomes more and more hyper-localized in every facet. I totally, I totally agree. I, I think that the digital, you know, regulation on the digital side is, uh, there's a lot of pushback. It's a lot of slow to develop and there's a lot of money, uh, out there preventing it from ever happening. So I would think that that's probably going to be the same with the, the alcohol space as well. Uh, you know, it's gonna, I don't know what would, I, I, I can't even fathom the next several steps that would have to occur for a grassroots pushback against these huge companies from a regulatory standpoint um, to occur. Um, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. I think people are still enamored with, with, you know, the, you know, the Silicon Valley, you know, billionaires idea that like we're reinventing society and we're the new altruistic people uh, and this is good. Um, and all this consolidation and stuff, that's a good thing. This is the technology kind of making things easier for everybody. Um, people seem to mostly believe that, uh, you know, everyone's saying, like, I don't know. I obviously saw the Super Bowl. There were so many like save local, save local, shop local, think local, think of your commute local community. So when this is all over, there still is a local community. Um, I don't think people think about going to Amazon as being anti that yet. I don't think most people have made that leap. Mm -hmm. um, and that using Uber Eats is not as good as calling up the store or going there and picking it up yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's just one more leap that needs to get made. And that's way far away from actually putting any um, uh, 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 regulation down. But I don't know. I knew you'd get me to go off the rails and be. No, this is <laughs> this is good, and and I think that that's an important uh, to kind of wrap things up here. I think that's that's important in that as part of the shop local conversation. You know, we need to think. We need to look at processing, and we also need to look at where the money's going. And people need to be a little more critical of how they're spending their money, and they need to be curious of how they're doing it. And I think within that same thread as well, we can look at. Uh, craft brewers saying, okay, we all need to work together because what we're all fighting against is much larger than any of us individually. And instead of fighting each other or mocking each other or following each other, we need to think more critically as a group and take on what the behemoths are in the category instead of taking each other on. True, true, yeah. true, true. Chris, yeah. thanks for joining us. Any parting words? Uh, well, uh, looks like I made it as third as, uh, as long as I did last time. So, uh, yeah, so sorry about that, but thank you. Thanks so much. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me back. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Happy to have you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you guys. Have a yeah. good one. Mm -hmm. You as well. Take yeah. care. Good to see you guys. Right. See you guys. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Mm -hmm.